Food bloggers, hi, how are you today? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. This is the place for food bloggers to get information and inspiration to accelerate your blog's growth and ultimately help you to achieve your freedom, whether that's financial, personal, or professional. I'm Megan Porta, and I've been a food blogger for over 12 years. I understand how isolating food blogging can be at times. I'm on a mission to motivate, inspire, and most importantly, let each and every food blogger, including you, know that you are heard and supported. I have a slight confession about this episode. Uh, About three quarters of the way through, I kind of forgot I was recording an interview. I'm not lying. This does not happen often, but it's usually a sign of just being really in the moment and enjoying the conversation and just, yeah, just being really immersed in our topic. So Amanda Pollock joins me and she is from amandapollock.com. She is a cookbook and food memoir coach. And oh my gosh, she has such an extensive history with just being creative and writing and all kinds of fun things. You guys are going to love her story. And she gives us some really good tips about how to either create a cookbook or maybe write a book proposal and how to approach a project like this without being overwhelmed. Her tips are a little bit unconventional and things I've never heard before. They're probably things that you aren't going to expect, which is why I really think you should tune into this episode from start to finish. Amanda has so many great thoughts about how to tune into your unique voice and your emotion to get a publishing deal or write a book proposal or just land on a topic of a book that you feel like you really need to put out into the world. You're going to love this episode. It is number 416, and it is sponsored by Rank IQ. Hey, awesome food bloggers. Before we dig into this episode, I have a really quick favor to ask you. Go to your favorite podcast player, go to eBlog Talk, scroll down to the bottom where you see the ratings and review section. Leave eBlog Talk a five-star rating if you love this podcast and leave a great review. This will only benefit this podcast. It adds value. And I so very much appreciate your efforts with this. Thank you so much for doing this. Okay, now on to the episode. Amanda Pollock is a cookbook and food memoir coach. Through their work together, clients have landed big five publishing deals and secured media clips for publications including Food 52 and the Los Angeles Times. Her work has been featured by Cooking Light, Time, Southern Living, and Food and Wine, and she's a proud member of the Cherry Bomb community. Amanda lives in Nashville, Tennessee now, but a piece of her will always be in California. Hey, Amanda. How are you today? Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Hey, Megan. Ah, I'm so good. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this for a really long time. So, Oh, good. Well, I'm so happy to have you here, and I'm excited about this conversation and talking about cookbooks and positive good feelings associated with it. <laughs> uh, but first, I would, the rest of us and I would love to hear if you have a fun fact to share. Yes. So I own the entire series of the Golden Girls on DVD. (gasps) (laughs) Okay. That has never been brought up here, but I love the Golden Girls. They're the best. They are the best. I'll meet you on the lanai after that. Oh my gosh. (laughs) They are just like, why don't shows exist like that anymore? It was just the funniest, most perfect idea for a show ever. I basically have just wanted to be a golden girl my whole life. <laughs> so I also feel like saying that I have it on DVD, it's like you're a particular kind of Oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. 
You're pigeonholing yourself. I think that's good. It could be so much worse. You could say like, I watch the Rambo series every day or something like that. <laughs> so I'll, that I would go with Golden Girls. That was my other fun fact. Yeah. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I ruined it for everyone. Oh, gosh. Well, that is amazing. I love you even more now. <laughs> Yay. Yay. So let's talk about cookbooks and creating cookbooks without being overwhelmed or sad. I talk about this often on here, but I actually went through a like a great depression when I created my cookbook. And I so I associate those two things with one another, which I hate. So I kind of feel like I need to create another cookbook just to separate those in my mind. So I'm hoping that our conversation today will maybe influence that because it's pretty bad. Like when I think about it, I just get like, oh, okay. So I would like to back up a little bit because you have kind of a backstory and how like all of your experiences kind of came together. So let's just talk about that first. Tell us about your backstory. Yeah. Well, also, I just want to say that we all have like creative bummers, <laughs> things that we're disappointed with. Right. And so, you know, if anyone also heard that and was like, I also feel the same, like, it, no, we're, you're not alone. And I think sometimes it's just figuring out how we can make those disappointments into, you know, our new success story, which is kind of like what I ended up having to do. So originally I always wanted to be an actor. So I moved to LA when I was really young. I was an improviser, sketch comedian, and it was roughly around 20, 2008, 2009 that I ended up losing one of my jobs. So if anyone was like doing things during that time, it was a really great time for the economy. Mm. I remember. <laughs> so one of the things that I was trying to do was just finding a job. And it was so hard just to find like my bridge job again. And I don't know, it, it was about 18 months of me really just struggling and not knowing, should I stay in LA? Should I go somewhere else? I had this epiphany that I needed to go to college because I didn't go to school right after high school. And mostly that was like one, because every, even like a temp job, if there's any actors out there who used to do temp work, you could get like a day job answering phones at a car dealership. Yeah. And you don't really need a lot of experience to do that. But during the Great Recession, it was you need, you know, a bachelor's and two years of executive assistant experience. So I just kind of all roads were leading to like I probably needed to go to school just to have an opportunity to put food on the table. And, but like around that time, I was just really thinking of like what I really wanted to do and feeling like a lot of my friends had started making really big strides in acting and comedy. And I just felt really left behind, which we're all on a different path, but it is hard when you see mm -hmm. most of your friends making big jumps. And anyway, I had this random idea that I wanted to work at a national magazine. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I mean, I've always been a writer, but I didn't know that was just like a brand new thought. And so school was the way that I had to do that because for every magazine internship, you had to have a college degree. Mm -hmm. So long story short with that, ended up going to school, love school. If I could just be at school 
the rest of my life just walking around with a coffee, going to class. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Isn't that funny how you look back and you're like, oh, I wish I had that back. But when I was in school, I was like, this sucks. I want to get a job. <laughs> it's like the grass is always greener. Always greener. Yep. I think too, like that I, since I didn't go to school right after high school, I had this like a different appreciation for it, which mm-hmm. I don't think I would have had had it yeah, gone early. Totally can see that. Yeah. But then I actually ended up, so I was going to school in LA. I ended up transferring to a college in Northern California where I'm from and they had a magazine writing program. And so it was so small. It was just one professor who headed up the entire program and she was really my mentor. And I went to college specifically to work at a national magazine, graduated, ended up with the one-year fellowship at Cooking Light in Birmingham, Alabama. So kind of wild how that like that came together. Yeah, that's amazing. And how did you like that once you got in? Oh my goodness, Megan, that would be another thing where I'm like, can I just go back and relive that year? Cause that'd be so much fun. (laughs) I love to hear that. I'm glad you're not saying that it was just like a nightmare or anything. Yeah, no. Well, so the only experience that I had also with what it might be to work at a, a magazine was probably watching The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> but... Oh, yeah. Not a good experience there. <laughs> Not a good experience. Yeah. But it was super cool. So I know that the since then, I think the program might have changed some. But so when I was there, it was the Time Inc. Fellowship. So Time Inc. used to own Cooking Light. They owned Time Magazine, Food & Wine, a bunch of brands. And so they had started this fellowship program where you would get placed at either Cooking Light, Southern Living, Coastal Living, My Recipes, or Oxmoor House, which did all of the cookbooks. And so you would get placed on the editorial team, the digital team, or in the test kitchen, or also on the art team. And so I got assigned to the editorial team at Cooking Light. And the cool thing about Birmingham and why I'm actually really glad that I ended up there as opposed to maybe New York or there was also a couple of sister brand fellowships in California. But Birmingham, it's kind of like this underdog. Nobody really thinks of the brands that are there. So when I was there, they had created the Time Inc. Food Studios. So it's this huge photo hub, well, food and photo hub, But we had, I think, if I'm getting the numbers right, 28 test kitchens, 13 photo bays. And there was, we did photography development and styling for, I think, 11 lifestyle brands. And we also had two full, like, big studio kitchens. So they really wanted you to choose your own adventure. So if you wanted to spend the day in the test kitchen, but, you know, you're an editorial fellow, they would set that up. You can help with the digital team. You could help with video. So I was able to kind of like step into this new thing with, I could just really choose my own adventure. And I think that that kind of set me up for that year of just getting the best experience possible. That sounds like a dream. (laughs) That sounds amazing. Oh, yeah. Like to have all of that at your fingertips and then like you can basically choose your way. And you're a creative individual, so it's like, oh my gosh, yeah, you can test it all out, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then after that, sounds amazing, you went into the cookbook realm, and now you're like a food memoir coach. How did that go from that to where you're at now? 
Yeah. So after Cooking Light, I did a quick stop. I was hired out of my fellowship and I was the first dedicated segment producer of Facebook Live for the company. So it was right when Facebook Live had just launched and they were really pushing to media companies to, you know, utilize Facebook Live. And so it was honestly like a kind of a melding of that after or after that where I really saw, oh, well, I actually ended up getting the job because I was the only person. I'd been producing videos, but I was the only person who knew how to do live. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So everyone else was terrified. They were like, I don't want to be live on camera. I don't want to do any of that. So I had to develop talent. I was booking talent. I was you know, just figuring out ways to also help people overcome their fear. So a lot of those things ended up, you know, it was a mixture of that, even my work as an editor after I left Cooking Light that kind of melded into the book coaching, which I'm doing now, uh, which I get asked all the time. They're like, how, how did you become that? I'm like, yeah, I did it. <laughs> it just <No>. happened. Yeah. <laughs> I just like woke up and no, I had heard of a lot of personal development coaches talk about hiring book coaches to write their books for quite a few years. And just one day I heard it in an interview and it just kind of clicked. I was like, oh, that seems like something I should look into. Aww. And so there was this program, this woman who had written a few books and she was actually a book coach. She had created this program to teach people how to be, you know, start your book coaching business. And so I went through that program. And one of the things that I learned was like, I, I did know a lot. You know a lot more than you think. Yeah. It just gave me the permission to do that. And from there, I just started reaching out to people who I knew wanted to write books and slowly but surely um, more and more people found me and now we're here. That is your story. The rest is history as they say, right? So cool. I love how your story has evolved and I love how like this is the case with every human. You hear their story and you're like, oh, that's so cool. But a theme that I've noticed about you is that you listen to those little intuition nudges that you were like, I don't know why I want to go work for Meg. You know, like those things you seem to really tune into and just follow, which I think a lot of people don't do. So there's something to that. Yeah. Well, one, thank you, because sometimes I think you forget, mm-hmm. you know, that you're doing a bit better than you think. And there was a period, though, where I felt like I was asking everyone else, well, what do you think I should do? What do you think I'm really good at? Uh, yeah. You know, there's always like these lulls, I think. And even if you have decided like the career or the path that you're going to go down, there's always like a, a point where you're like, am I even doing the right thing? And there was a period where I was asking other people for their opinions on what I should do. And I kind of had like a real moment with myself. And I was like, "Mm, your intuition's pretty good. Like it doesn't need to make sense to anyone else. It just has to make sense to you. Oh my gosh. I can so relate to that. There are so many times, whether it's about something really minuscule or something big in my life where I'm like, for whatever reason, I think I need to go ask everyone what they think about it. And then I'm like all caught up and confused and like, well, wait, they thought this and there's conflict and everything is confusing. And 
And yeah, you just need to remind yourself sometimes that your intuition is there for a reason. It serves you and guides you. And I mean, there's no harm in like asking trusted people what they think, right? But to go around like I used to and just like, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? That doesn't serve you. Yeah. You know, I think too, we have to remember that someone may be giving you advice, but they're coming at it with their history and their stories. So So true. (laughs) it's a hard thing to remember. It it doesn't matter if it's your career, life, relationships. I think we've all been there where someone's giving you advice and you're like, Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Something seems off. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So now today you are helping people just guide them through the process of writing cookbooks. So I imagine you work with some food bloggers, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So talk to us about this because as we've both alluded to, it can be a project that can create overwhelm. So what do we need to know if we are considering this as a project? Yeah. Well, one, I would say just know that it is a process. So a lot of times people will come to me and, you know, they probably started as a, you know, just creating content or they wanted to get into the food creation space because they wanted to leave a full-time job or, you know, there's like, there's a deep passion for it. And I think sometimes, well, actually I know when I, clients, when we start in the process is that they just didn't understand that it would take a lot of like emotional capital. So Mm -hmm. we're not just looking at your recipes as like, oh, you know, you make 20 minute meals. Perfect. Like you are so much more than that. And I'm really passionate about telling more than just a recipe. You know, we're telling stories beyond just that because you most likely did get into this for an emotional reason or there's something deeper there. And so that's something that people will come back with a lot of, I didn't realize you were going to ask me so many questions about myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I love that. Yeah, Yeah. it goes deeper than people think, I'm sure. Yeah. And, And part of that also goes into, so another, another big piece of you know, when I first start to work with people, typically we start with the book proposal. So your book proposal is your business plan for your cookbook. So this really just maps out, you know, how you came up with this idea, who this book is for, why you're the person to write it, your target audience, your promotional plan, chapter summaries. And it sounds overwhelming when I start to list all those things, but it all kind of goes together. So I think once you first start with your why and your emotional why, like why you're really writing this book, that's actually going to be the thing that I point people back to over and over because there's going to be times where you're like, why am I doing this? I don't understand what I'm even showing up here for. Do people even care? But once you figure out your your why like that, I also want people to dig into the mar- with marketing, figuring out the emotional reason why people are going to pick up their book. Why is it that a book like yours hasn't hit the shelves? Why is it that people need that? And so we do that through a couple of ways. But I 
I really love emotions <laughs> and we're emotional people, but that's how people are triggered to buy. So it's stepping yeah. into that a little bit more than just, you know, kind of a cut and dry, oh, I'm going to submit you pages and you're going to, you know, put a bunch of red marks. <laughs> right. Right. I love that you dig deep with people just to find, to kind of connect them with like, yeah, like why, why they're doing this. What would you say if somebody creates a cookbook and they aren't super connected to their why, like they're really not sure. They just like kind of wanted to do this and then finish the project. Do you, yeah. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah. So is it after they like completed the book? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, you know, one, sometimes we do just create things because we just want to get something out into the world. And maybe other people said, oh, you should really write a book and you didn't really know what you were doing. And that totally happens. But I, I think one of the things that I've noticed is if, so I, I like to kind of use examples that when someone's like, well, I don't know like what my, my why is, or I'm not really sure what that emotional component would be. I'm like, well, what are the books that you really love? what are the books that you come back to over and over again? And like, tell me why. So, and she's not a food blogger, but Julia Child. I've never met someone who talked about her books and didn't have an emotional reaction to Mm. it. And so, and a lot of the language they use is she taught me how to cook and, and she gave me this freedom to, you know, step into the kitchen with stuff that's just at the grocery store and have this elevated experience. But if you've already written a book, that you didn't feel super connected to. I think it's all just feedback, honestly. Something that I I really have to remind clients of a lot, and this is even because I'm also a writer, is that Mm -hmm. nothing's really lost. You know, I think sometimes we put stuff out there and if it didn't hit initially or, you know, if maybe that first book or, you know, you have a full manuscript of a cookbook and, you know, people aren't super excited about it, it can be a real hit to your ego. And yeah. and you're afraid of, you know, putting things out there. But I think that, you know, one, it's just always like, okay, so if I don't feel super good about something, there's probably something off. Going back to the intuition. Yes. I think we all kind of like, I don't know, Megan, like have, have there been times where something just felt off and you're like, oh, I knew it. Yes. Oh, all the time. <laughs> all the time. And, you know, you no one can really tell you like what that feels like, but you know what it was. Yeah. And you wish you could go back in the past and make a new decision. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but sometimes you're, you know, you're, you have the thing in front of you. And I think that, you know, one thing that I've heard from a lot of people and even agents who I talk to is that sometimes a book, like a book proposal will land on their desk and they don't know why the person is writing the book because it seems like everyone else told them that this is the thing you should write about and they could feel that the writer wasn't really into it. Oh, that's interesting that other people can kind of catch that vibe. Mm -hmm. So what does make, do you have any tips for getting in front of a publisher and letting them know that this comes from a place of, you know, like I really need to or want to write this book and it needs to be out how do we make sure that we get the yes from a publishing deal? Yeah. So I do this in a couple of ways. So one, you're going to hear 
a lot that your platform is an essential part of getting a publishing deal or just even getting the attention of an agent or a publisher. So with that, sometimes when I say platform, people you are like, oh, I have to have like a million followers, Yeah, which I actually did speak with someone the other day who was told that. And I was like, that's not, it's not quite true. Yeah. It's really just where are the places that you're showing up that people could buy your book, you know, the strength of your network, the people who you know. And so that's why everything that I do is like with marketing and a little bit of publicity in mind. So I like to start people with this idea that every book idea is inside of a magazine pitch. So going back to my cooking yes. light days, I think that, you know, one, it, it starts you out in a place of service. So you're thinking of the person on the other side of how is this story going to actually help them and their audience? How is it going to fill their content needs? Then your book idea, it just has to be super concise, two to three sentences, you know, and also like, what's the benefit (laughs) for people? Yeah. And clients, this is actually one of the, the most favorite assignments that clients have. They come back to me just saying like, oh, I've been working on my pitch and my article and I sent it to, you know, some of them have been picked up by like Food 52 or some of the edible communities. And it's just a boost to, you know, see, okay, so my book idea is a tangible thing. One, it's not just this thing I've been dreaming about, but also two, people are have like responding (laughs) to it. And so you're building your clips, you're building that you are, you're building your portfolio beyond just whatever it is that you're doing now, which I think is really helpful because again, it's overwhelming. (laughs) Yes. To think about writing. It is. An entire book. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So can I interrupt you just quickly and ask you a question? So are you saying that the idea for your book is different from a proposal or or pitch? So like you don't have to write an entire book proposal before you start talking to people? So that's a, that's a great question. So how I do it is like, it's kind of hand in hand. So the idea between behind that your book ideas in a magazine pitch is like, let's just say, for example, that maybe you're not ready for a book coach. Maybe you just still feel like you need some time to explore like what your idea is. If you have a few ideas that you're floating between I think that submitting a magazine pitch or, you know, if it's just for a website, it's a really great way just to see if the idea is there. So that's something that I do work on with people. And, and I find that like through our process together, people are able to just like hone in on what their one idea is because typically it's a lot of, you know, very general things. So, which, and that's totally fine. But this just kind of like centers it around also like a sense of urgency, which then you do need in your book proposal as far as like, this is why you need my book now. (laughs) Okay. Gotcha. Sorry for the interruption. Just wanted to clarify. No, 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 no. If you don't, like if you have that question, other people probably have that question. Do. So you I try to always ask if I have even like a small inkling just in case anyone else is thinking that too. So yeah. yeah. So yeah, you were talking about getting a publishing deal and kind of ways you looked through that. 
Yeah. So, you know, the big thing that I would say is, you know, agents and publishers, what I, what I hear from them over and over again is how much they're really looking for, yes, the platform, but also someone who is bringing a unique voice. So I think sometimes we get a little bit caught up in whatever industry we're in and just looking at what everyone else is doing and thinking, oh, this is the way that everyone talks about food, or this is the way that everyone's doing their recipes. But I've been in quite a few conversations lately where like agents and publishers are absolutely looking for people. They're on Instagram. They are listening to podcasts. They go to conferences. They are looking for people. And I think a way that you can, you know, also kind of stand out in, you know, such a saturated market is like one, just kind of owning your voice. And one of the things that I really encourage people to do, so this, you know, goes hand in hand with just like improving your writing, but also growing your network and your audience, but is using your email newsletter. (laughs) I really think that that is a key because it's a platform that you own. You have a direct line of communication to people and also agents and publishers may sign up for your newsletter and they can see your writing in a different context than anywhere else. A no pressure environment. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's powerful. I mean, I've never thought of that. I just assume that every single human on my email newsletter, every subscriber is a food blogger wanting mm-hmm. food blogging information. But that, I mean, of course, that doesn't have to be the case. That's also a totally fair assumption, right? Because you know the people who you're serving, right? So when they are opting into your newsletter, you already you know, have an idea of what they're looking for. I think that this probably comes to me a little bit more just because having worked in media, I also know that there's a lot of like entry-level assistants who follow people. So there could be people who work at a publishing house who are on your email list and you don't even know. And those people talk to their bosses a lot. Like I always see the connections with things like that. And so, you know, I, I think sometimes when I talk to clients about their email list, it seems like this thing that they don't like at all. And they just do it because yeah. they they know they have to. And I, I really want to change that for people. Yeah, that's, I, I don't know. I've just had like a super aha moment when you were talking. Like you just, you never know who's on the other side. You just, you have no idea. It could be anyone, right? So show up as your best, most unique and authentic self all the time, no matter where you're at. Food bloggers, real quick, want to hop in to tell you about an exciting opportunity for all of you travel lovers out there. A lot of you foodies are also big on exploring our country. If you plan on exploring New York City anytime soon, this might be a great opportunity for you. And if part of your audience relates to travel, they could benefit from this as well. The New York City Borough Pass is the best way to experience the unique cultures and stories of New York City. This sightseeing pass for sustainable cultural travel provides access to a diverse roster of attractions, tours, and performing arts venues in each of the five boroughs of New York City. 
like the Alice Austin House Museum, where you can explore the life of the LGBTQ icon, or the 250-acre New York Botanical Garden that houses over 1 million living plants, or the City Reliquary Museum with its quirky and hyper-local New York City collections. The best part? Eat Blog Talk listeners receive a 10% off of 1, 3, 7, and 90-day options with the code EATBLOGNYC so you can choose the perfect duration for your adventure in the city. What are you waiting for? Get your New York City Borough Pass today and discover the beauty of the people and places that make New York City one of the world's most vibrant and exciting destinations. Go to nycboroughpass.com to get yours now. nycboroughpass.com. Use code EATBLOGNYC. When I was acting and I was doing improv, I remember just having this sense that, oh, all of the decision makers are sitting up really high in these high rises, corner offices. I'm never going to know those people. They would never be able to help me. But then like even when I worked at Cooking Light and I was an editorial fellow, I was the person that our editor in chief, like not like that I was the only person, but... They love hearing, you know, oh, what are you reading? What are you listening to? I would pitch them stuff all the time mm. and you have a lot of leverage. So so that's just something too that I want to say is that, you know, especially people who are on the, you know, their their careers are on the rise. Those are a lot of the people who may sign up for your newsletter, are the people who may be following you. They can suggest you. It might not be that, you know, this agent is following you, but hey, maybe one of their assistants is. And so, yeah, you're right. Like you never know who's going to be opening that email. And so I think you can show a really beautiful part of yourself that you don't get to show on Instagram or whatever. Maybe it's because you're you know, nervous or overwhelmed. I don't know. There's a lot of reasons why we don't show up, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think like for platforms like Instagram, it's really easy to get just so overwhelmed because of the like the perfectionism thing like I have to be perfect like x and x and x appear <laughs> so it's hard to show up there authentically but in an email newsletter oh my gosh I'm like that is the place where I'm super real just mm. like myself completely there and that's what people like connect with right like do exactly. you do you find that you like email more because of that? Definitely because I because I am myself in email, I get a lot of responses. People engage with me. I have a I have a very high open rate. I think a lot higher than most. And if I say like, "Hey, hit reply and let me know how your weekend was" or something like that, so many people do it and I love it and I reply back to them and that's that is fulfilling for me and I think they appreciate that I'm asking them that. So I really enjoy writing those emails because of that. Like I know people are actually opening them and reading them. So yeah, for me, it's fulfilling. It's fun. Instagram, not so much. <laughs> I, don't, I don't enjoy writing on Instagram. And the thing that I love too about what you just said is, so that's actually one thing that I really encourage clients to do as we're working on their book proposal because you're knowing who your target audience is, is really important. And something I find is that sometimes we're just not talking to people enough. Yeah. So in your email newsletter though, you can send surveys, you can, you know, the reply button. It, I think sometimes too, people feel, oh, 
like it's this this exclusive thing, right? We're just having this really cool one-on-one conversation. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure that also two people probably share things in there that I don't know that they would really share in like a reply on a caption. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like nothing that you would reply on Instagram. But if you hit reply on a on an email, it's totally different, it seems. Yeah. And I think that it's really good information too for where people are at, what they're really looking for, what their struggles are. I think the more that we can use, you know, something that, you know, one is not only just going to help us create a sustainable career. I am all about just helping people create their own like stamp in the ground so that they don't have to rely on everyone else to, you know, build their platform or, I mean, because now just the way with social is, it could be banned. You could have to pay yes. for, you know, a subscription service. You just never know. You have no idea. So I really love that you've had that experience. And I hope that other people will be curious about yeah. building their own and creating that conversation because also it's just really good practice for writing. Yes, that's a good point too. And if you do a weekly or even multi-weekly email. That's a lot of writing. Mm-hmm. This is such good food for thought. So it gives food bloggers some things to think about as they're maybe contemplating creating a cookbook and getting a publishing deal, getting a proposal put together. This is like preliminary thoughts in my opinion. So mm-hmm. what happens if we actually do all of this and successfully get a publishing deal that we're in love with, that aligns with our passions, our emotions, Yeah. Like, do you have any tips from that point after? Yeah. One, remember it's a process. So I think that just aligning expectations and not, and just presuming positive intent will help so much because the publishing process is long and everyone's journey is different. So I did a a Q&A with a client a couple months ago and people were asking about her experience. And it was a very different experience than a lot of people. She actually sold her cookbook directly to the publisher and it was in Canada where they just had their email on their website. (laughs) She just submitted to them, but she has lunch with her editors and she has this really lovely experience. But Afterwards, she was like, yeah, sometimes I don't like to share that with people because I know that everyone's experience is going to be different. Right. I, I know a couple people right now who were supposed to have books come out this summer and they don't even have photos for their books yet. They're not even sure where it is. So the only thing I want to say to people is whatever your journey looks like, that's what your journey is supposed to look like. And it doesn't mean anything about you or your worth or, you know, what your story is. There are really no guarantees with that. But I think that just remembering that you are definitely not alone. If you have had this experience, someone else has had a similar Mm -hmm. experience. And, And there's always something to learn. That's why it's really good to, you know, especially when you're pitching to agents, to find someone who gets you, who understands you, who can help you through all of those lulls, they're really going to be your champion. And also, though, to have good community. 
to surround yourself with people who can just get it and you don't necessarily have to explain yourself away because there's going to be a point where all of your non-food friends <laughs> or family, they just don't get it and you're going to feel like such a failure and that's not the truth. So I think just having a little bit of perspective on that because there's kind of a, an idea that like once you get the book deal, then you know everything is just perfect. Mm-hmm. And where I find that people get really disappointed is like once they have the book deal and then they feel lonely writing or it's, you know, the, the, the pub date got pushed back. So just be easy on yourself. Whatever part of this that you are in, you're exactly where you need to be. And I would also just trust that you will attract the people who you need, who will help you get to the next step. Oh, that was beautiful. Oh my gosh. That was like the best thing that you could have possibly said about it. I loved those words. And you're talking to food bloggers. So as you were saying some of those things, I was like, we already feel like we're not, like we're a little different, you know, talking to our families about having food blogging as a profession. Not many people understand that. So I think a lot of us are already like, yep, I'm already misunderstood, so this will probably just be no big deal. (laughs) It's so true. I mean, there's not a single food blogger I talk to about this topic that's like, oh, yeah, my family just totally understands exactly what I do. And they, you know, it's just not a thing yet. Like, people generally don't get it, even still today in 2023. So, I almost think writing a cookbook is even more understood because that at least is a concept people can grasp. Like, oh, you put recipes in a, you know, mm-hmm. but food blogging is not. So, <laughs> <laughs> and also, too, you know, I, I think that people like have their own ideas about what it is. So then you're just constantly, you're like, no, that's not. That's not what what it is. I don't know about anyone else, but I get this all the time. Like just the other day, someone said this to me. I have my logo on our RV and sometimes at like RV parks, people will be like, what what is Pip and Ebby? And I'm like, oh, I actually avoid it. I used to go and explain. My husband, bless his heart, (laughs) was like, I'll go, you know, he does it now. So he'll go over and be like, oh, it's my wife's website. She is a food blogger. And I heard this woman say, Oh, like a restaurant critic. Like that's I get that all the time. I'm like, oh, and I was just sitting there, like, I'm just so tired of trying to explain. So I'm just like the jerk in the corner, like not wanting to talk about it anymore. Yes, you're not alone. It's funny because that was me for well, for so many years when I was people like my family, like extended family, they're like, What are you doing now? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Do you want to like tell me? <laughs> But when I was doing comedy and people were like, oh, yeah, so like you do stand up? I was like, no, it's like a different type of, can we just stop mm-hmm. talking about this? Yes. No, I don't yes. want <laughs> It's exactly how I feel. Like I'm just kind of over it. I'd rather be seen as just the person who doesn't want to talk about it than try to explain my head off because, yeah, it's been so many years of just like, I'm, I'm never going to make this person in like five minutes understand exactly what I do. So mm-hmm. I don't know, just finding some random thing. Sorry, I got off topic there. But <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, like, no. <laughs> I love that because yeah. you're definitely not alone. And I, I think sometimes too, I'll just say that I wonder with people when I'm working with them, if some of like getting to your emotional why or like, you know, kind of the stuff deep down is because maybe there's just been a, a misunderstanding mm. for so long. 
and trying to, you're like, okay, I'm going (laughs) to, it's so true. Imagining you of like, I give you an assignment. You're like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's so true. I'm like the stubborn child who refuses to, yeah, that's funny. There is probably some emotion behind there that I need to unravel and figure out. Maybe I should turn that energy into a book or something. <laughs> I mean, it it's funny the amount of things that are just kind of buried for all of us, you know, even mm-hmm. if you're not writing a book. And I I just find that often the stuff that really annoys us is like actually where <laughs> a lot of the gold is. It's so true with anything in life. I feel like the people who annoy me, there's something there with me that I need to figure out. Like anything that annoys me, there's something to dig into more. Yes. And that's actually when people get stuck, I tell them, like, I don't really believe in writer's block. And maybe that's just me being a masochist. No. (laughs) (laughs) But I tell them, write through your resistance. So Mm -hmm. if it was, I don't want to explain to you, like, how I started my food blog. Cool. Write that. Like, write why you don't want to do that or why you're stuck on a particular part. And then mostly like you get to work out those things and it's okay to have those feelings. I suggest that all the time. People don't always do it, but I think it's a really powerful exercise just to name why you're having, why you're struggling with like a particular thing, especially with writing because we love to talk about writing, but... Writing always, I don't know, I don't know that everyone probably agrees with me on this, but writing for me has always brought clarity. Like Mm -hmm. if I have something in my mind, even if it's not a project, it's just like an issue or something that's come up. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I cannot get it straight. If I start writing it, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so clear. So I try to do that now whenever I have anything come up that is just like jumbled in my head, write it out. And I can usually just like see the clarity immediately. It's really amazing. I love that. I'm just curious. Do you find that you do like post-it notes or what's kind of your just creative process or is it just like pen, paper, write it out? Yeah, it's either journal writing or I think I'm most effective just with my computer because then I can go back and Mm. like, nope, that's not right. I'm going to reorder that so I can easily reorder things. Yeah. It's always like, even when I was a kid, I would do that. Like I would write out, if I was mad at my mom, I'd be like, I don't know why I'm mad at her, but I'm going to write it out. And then it was just like super clarity. And then I would give, I started giving my family members and friends letters. And then once email came around, I would start emailing instead of having conversations. And they were always like, why are you, why do you send an email? Why don't you just talk to me? I'm like, it's so much easier for me to communicate this way. So I don't know if anyone else can relate to that, but that's been my life experience with writing. (laughs) Megan, did we just become best friends? (laughs) I I did that with my parents. I was like, until until you what is what and you hurt my feelings. And I would like peek out and see like if they were reading and like they would, but it, I was like, you're supposed to write me back. This is how this works. Yes. But- I would always get mad. Like, why am I not getting the letter back? <laughs> I was like, excuse me. This is the whole point of me writing you this. Yeah. You're, we're supposed to have a response. Thanks a lot. But same. It's so much easier to just write it out. So then 
I think also, so you can just kind of see what's what for yourself when you were talking about the everything's kind of jumbled. I think that happens to so many of us and we just like let it sit there and it's not really going to do anything just as we ruminate on it. So yeah. I like to, you know, do bullet points or, you know, even sometimes I'll grab my phone and do like a voice memo. And oh, just, that's a great idea. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I always just love to know how people like process that because I also think it's helpful for other people just to know that we're just over here writing. I know. And if you're listening and you're like, I've never tried that, then give it a try because maybe, I mean, maybe it won't work, but maybe it will. Maybe it will give you clarity about how to handle whether it's a book that you are thinking about or a project or human interactions, relationships, like maybe it will help. I don't know. Just something to throw out there. But for me, it's been amazing. Maybe they'll get a response, even if we yes. didn't. But like, right? Yes, maybe they'll actually get a letter back. So I have a question for you, kind of a personal one. So there's a you talked a lot about like using emotion, which I love that because I always say that too. There's so much power in emotion and figuring out like just like what's there. Mm -hmm. There's energy there with emotion. So I've had this idea about kind of like a cookbook slash memoir to write that my dad came up with a couple of years ago, just off out of the blue. He was like, you should write. And then like threw out this idea. And I was like, oh my gosh. And when I heard him say it, I immediately like kind of got like teary in a good way. Like this is perfect, but I don't know. And I think it is a good idea, but there's nothing else like it out there that I know of. So how do I go about like working through that process to see if it's even, you know, like maybe in my mind, it's a good idea in my dad's mind, <laughs> but mm -hmm. maybe for everyone else, it would be a terrible idea. So what, what I do, <laughs> what do I need to do, Amanda help? I love this. So just knowing those little bits. Um, so typically they're there probably is, and this would go like within comp titles, like for your book proposal. So what that section does is really it shows, you know, that there's a market for this book. So even if there isn't a book that you feel like fully encompasses your idea, that's okay. But I would start to first, well, actually, so Jane Friedman is a publishing expert. I love her stuff. And she has some really great articles on her site about how to find comp titles. And so the first thing that you would want to do is like, I just love Googling. And like, so if, you know, I just have that little bit of information, cookbook about emotions, you can start <laughs> very, very broad. Yeah. But things are going to come up on Amazon or reviews. Just get super curious there. And even just thinking about this emotion thing, I know that there's a couple of baking books that are talking about baking through emotion. Mm -hmm. And something that you can do with this idea, because right, you're just seeing if it's a tangible thing. So one, I would say, well, if you felt like there was a, a website or some place that, you know, could really, that idea would be a good place to experiment, that could be a cool way to see if people latch on to that. But then also with those books, something that that's really helpful is you can see, I love to tell people to look in like the comments on Goodreads or Amazon or wherever, you know, you're doing your kind of book research and seeing what it is that people resonated with about those books. Yeah. And some comments are not going to be helpful. Yeah. <laughs> As always, right? <laughs> 
Some, some are just not going to be. But from there, I think it can be really helpful to kind of start to figure out like what you think a structure or just an overall arching view would be for that book. And do you get excited about it? Are like, you asking me right now? Or, <laughs> or am I supposed to ask myself later? You said you can ask yourself later or you can share. But okay. Like, when you said you got excited about it, I was excited for you. Yeah. Right. And yeah, I mean, I still, that was years ago and I'm still like, there's something to what he said. The fact that it stirred up so much inside of me and, and like my dad does not have creative ideas. So that came from somewhere. So I'm like, Ooh, this is exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that sometimes, and I also think Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this in big magic, which I love that book, but same. That, you know, sometimes there's going to be this idea and she talks about, you know, capturing it, but there's going to be things that just hit you. Maybe it's the quote unquote wrong time, but the things that are really meant for you, like, I think that they stick with you. And so maybe it's just been ruminating for so long. And then now you have to, you know, maybe spend a little bit of time figuring out what that is, especially if it hasn't like if you haven't forgotten about it, like those ones that stick. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you have to pay attention to those, right? Okay, so I'll give that more Was that helpful? and energy. That was helpful. I, I actually feel validated. I always, like I've mentioned this to a few other people and they're like, oh, that's a weird idea. <laughs> and then I'm just like, kind of, like what you were saying earlier about how you kind of feel misunderstood. So you don't mm. necessarily want to have the conversation, but... Mm-hmm. I think I've been maybe talking to the wrong people because everyone I mention it to, they kind of give me a look like, that's weird. Or, huh, you should maybe drop that idea. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, my husband's been very, he's like, yeah, that's a great idea. But of course, I mean, of course he's going to say that, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I also think too that something can that can be helpful. And even if it's not necessarily just like a food book, but sometimes, and I'll just say that like Chronicle books is one that I think of a lot. Like they do some really like experimental, fun trade books, a lot of amazing cookbooks, but even just look at like similar, similar or different industries, but just where there's a book that's just different. Mm -hmm. You know, you can look at, you can take from that, the structure, maybe the author's background. There's all kinds of ways to like take that and say, yeah, so this book exists and it could be, it doesn't even have to necessarily be a food book, but if you can make the argument like in a book proposal that it's a comparable, like it's a competitive title, there's all kinds of fun, weird structures. I love weird stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Not your book is like your idea is weird. I just think that sometimes people don't, if they haven't seen it before, it's really hard for them to imagine what that right. could be. I don't think that means that it's not worth pursuing. Right. Well, aren't you glad that I use this interview as like a personal coaching call, Amanda. I feel like I was just, I just had to remind myself a minute ago that I was actually recording us. I was like, oh crap. (laughs) Okay. So we should probably, thank you so much like for all of that. So I really appreciate it. I'm going to give this like some thought and felt that kind of emotion stir back up. So, so appreciate your feedback on that. So if someone else feels that about an idea, how do they, like, what's their next step? Yeah. So, I mean, one, I do, I really believe that 
writing regularly is like a way. So like when you were talking about the emotion and stuff, like if you were sharing that with your, your list, that's just kind of a neat way too to see if people are super engaged with that. So I do have a video series, Writing Gold. It's five days to kickstart your cookbook writing and grow your audience of raving fans. But it really is just how to connect those two pieces and to figure out though, like what the story that you really want to tell is. So this isn't what anyone else is talking about or what people are telling you to write about. But I think regular writing practice, because like you said, Megan, like that is where the clarity is going to come from. It's not going to come from you know, talking about it. Yeah. So start, just start talking to people regularly. And I think email is a great way to do that because it also takes away some of the just overall pressure (laughs) that can come from maybe putting something on your blog or Instagram. And then two, you know, I would just honestly start to build a community of people who are going to be supportive. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that's a really important thing. So like, that's why podcasts like this and all the stuff that you're doing is really important. And I hope that people just feel a little bit less alone. And I think that is ultimately like the goal of, you know, things like this. So yeah, I would just start writing regularly and don't judge it. Because most of the time, the thing that you think isn't going to be great is actually the thing that people connect with. Oh my gosh. There's been so much gold here. I feel like I could keep talking to you for hours, Amanda, but I suppose we should probably start wrapping this up. I'm really (laughs) sad to say goodbye. but Me too. I'll write you a letter. Please. Oh my gosh. You'll actually, I know you'll actually write me back. So I'm totally going to write you a letter. (laughs) Here are my thoughts today and feelings. (laughs) Oh, you'll be like, who is this woman? I invited her into my life and now I just want her to go away. (laughs) No, no, no. Do you have any just last little tips before we start saying goodbye, Amanda? Yeah. So the one thing I would, this, so it kind of goes back to what I was just saying, you know, when you're kind of afraid that no one's really going to care about what it is that you're putting out. So I think of this Dale Carnegie quote from How to Win Friends and Influence People all the time, but to be interesting, you have to be interested. Mm -hmm. So the more that you're interested in how other people are experiencing food, what their traditions are, or you're just even curious about the people in your own life, I think that it will help you to kind of that, that fear to dissipate because people are automatically more inclined to listen to someone who it feels like they that person already wants to listen to them where you're listening not to respond but you're listening to understand. Oh, that's powerful too. Amazing. Thank you so much. And thank you're you welcome. for your time today and just everything that you've delivered. I think this is such good inspiration and just food for thought for food bloggers, whether it's cookbook writing or like just connecting and blog writing. Like I think that if cookbook writing is not on your agenda, it's still a great episode to just kind of dig into and get inspiration from. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This was so awesome. And I hope it was helpful for people because I definitely understand what it feels like when you feel like you're all alone and you definitely are not. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. Yep. All right, Amanda, well, we're going to put together a show notes page for you. If anyone wants to go peek at those, head to eatblogtalk.com forward slash Amanda Pollock. P-O-L-I-C-K is how you spell Pollock. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you, Amanda? Yeah. So you can find me at 
amandapollock.com or also at Instagram at Amanda Pollock. And um, that's Amanda, P-O-L-I-C-K. Awesome. Go check her out. And thank you so much for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eat Blog Talk. Please share this episode with a friend who would benefit from tuning in. I will see you next time.